Hey, Coach, with Spencer now on campus, you know, just how important was it to get him here early? I mean, especially as a, a quarterback yeah. going into spring ball. Yeah, huge because of that, the quarterback position, just because it's such a, you know, leadership position and developing that chemistry with the receivers and tight ends and running backs and the offensive line and, and the entire team. And, and then just for any position, Mike, just to be able to, you know, get guys here and, and you know, the, the, one of the success, one of the reasons we had a lot of had the success that we had last year was because so many of these transfers came in and, and we were able to develop a really tight team. Uh, by the time we got to the season, they got tighter as the year went on. And the more time that you have together, the, the better chances you have of doing that. And, you know, I think uh, what Tyrese Ross came in the summertime. But other than that, I think all the transfers that we played with last year were here for spring practice. And, and we're essentially in the same boat this year with other than Austin. But like I told David, Austin's going to be here quite a bit during spring practice just on his own. Uh, as well to be around the guys so the more the earlier you can get them in the better and it's awesome having Spencer and, and all these guys here right now as well where you have what eight months and seven months until you start practice I think that's the one thing to remind ourselves of is you know that Florida brand is strong and it, it spread out and was able to do good work but um, you know our, our approach is going to be inside out there's no question um, I think history would indicate that when Florida has a really good football team, you know, it starts right here in our backyard and works out. So uh, that's the approach that we will take. Uh, and certainly with the 23 group, um, which we've already started on, you know, that'll be the mentality for sure. Oh, welcome in the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Braddon. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And got a great show lined up for you for this episode. Reached back out to Brian Stoltz. He was the guy who had him on right before we went on vacation, talking the Auburn Tigers and what's going on with Derek Mason leaving. And hey, that was even before all this drama with Brian Harson, Austin Davis leaving the program. And, you know, a little peeling behind the curtains here. After our call with Brian initially, the first one, he said, you know, it may not be long. There's going to be more drama here on the planes. So I'm very eager to come back when that happens. And here we are a little over, a, just over a week later, Brian Harson, you know, hanging by a thread there on the planes. So we're going to get into all of that in just a moment. But before we get to that interview, I'm just going to lead it off because it's what's going on with Brian Harson, the hot topic in the SEC. Derek Mason to Oklahoma State. We already knew that was going to happen, but his salary figures were released here on Monday, and it's just kind of more damning evidence of, uh, you know, kind of what Brian was telling us. He was just, Derek Mason was very unhappy working at Auburn for Brian Harson. Read into that how you will with the current Harson situation, but uh, Derek Mason took a $400,000 pay cut to leave Auburn to coach at Oklahoma State for the same position. Of course, defensive coordinator to be Mike Gundy's defensive coordinator. So, I don't know. That's a little damning that, uh, you know, he's taken such a cut to go to go to Oklahoma State. So, read into that how you will. But uh, that was not the only Auburn news we had here on Monday because the, the school – in an attempt to kind of clarify, kind of update where the situation is with Brian Harson, 
They released the following statement. I'm going to throw it up on the YouTube and I'll read it here for the audience. The Auburn administration is judiciously collecting information from a variety of perspectives, including our student athletes, and moving swiftly to understand any issues in accordance with university policy and procedures. Decisions regarding the future of Auburn and its athletic programs, as always, are made in the interest of our great university and in fairness to all concerned. We do not make institutional decisions based on social media, posts, or media headlines. And... I mean, I'm just reading between the lines here. What are they trying to say? It certainly seems like we're trying to buy this guy out <laughs> and we're trying to do it for as little as possible. Uh, there's been reports that they've asked Brian Harson to step down. He said, hell no. He's still on vacation. He's still drinking his Mai Tai on the beach there in Mexico. He hasn't even rushed back to fight for his job. And I think, uh, you know, he's just in a place where they may not have anything on him to fire him for cause. So he's calling their bluff saying, hey, if you're going to fire me, fire me. Pay me my $18 million, whatever it is, and go find you another coach. But until that time, until I get that check, I'm planning on being at Auburn. And that's where things are here as of a recording here on Monday evening at 7 o'clock Central Time. So, again, we'll keep you updated. But uh, some pretty interesting comments from Brian Stoltz who shed some insight into uh, the Austin Davis situation, why he left after just a couple weeks on the job, on the planes. What's next for Auburn? Does Brian Harson have any chance to survive this? And, you know, how much does Auburn being just a, a complete shit show at the moment, how does that hurt potential future candidates, uh, provided the, the Tigers have to move on from Harson as expected? So, uh, really appreciate Brian joining the show once again, second time in uh, two weeks here. I think it's the first time in the show's history that we've reached out to someone so quickly. But, uh, you know, that's just how big of a deal this is. So let's kick it over to our interview with Brian Stoltz of Auburn Sports. Well, we're pleased to once again be joined by Brian Stoltz. You got to give him a follow on the Twitter at Brian J. Stoltz. You can find that in the show notes. And he covers, of course, the Auburn Tigers for AuburnSports.com, part of the Rivals Network. Brian, thanks again for just a quick turnaround. I've never had someone come on the show twice in about a three-week span, so I really appreciate you joining me again. Hey, anytime. My pleasure. And things are happening right now uh, on the planes that are just insane. So uh, happy to talk. Yeah, and I mean... It was just days after, you know, we we just we were discussing Derek Mason and what was going on with that, and and certainly, you know, Oklahoma State that's a fine program, but in my opinion, and I'm and I'm sure in yours as well, stepped down from the Auburn Tigers and the SEC. So then we got this uh, Austin Davis situation, and you know, I still don't really understand what happened there. So I, before we get to all the Brian Harson stuff, do you have? Any idea what in the world happened to Austin Davis and, and why he was only on the job for a couple weeks there? Well, uh, from what we were told, uh, he has family issues that he wants to take care of, but I think there has to be more than that. I think he came in, saw the uh, dysfunction within the coaching staff and the program that is occurring right now, and maybe he said, hey, I made a mistake. Can I get out of my contract? You know, And I uh, told Harson, this is not the place for me. I mean, he's not from the SEC. Uh, he came all the way from Seattle, and uh, maybe he decided, maybe he had second thoughts, and that's why I think happened. But 
from what we were told in the statement said that he was uh, stepping away to deal with family issues. So if that's the case, I hope everything's all right with him and his family. But, uh, yeah, it's a uh, complete crap show in Auburn right now like I've never seen before. And uh, it's only going to get worse the next 24, 48 hours, I think. Yeah, and so, of course, you know, the big topic, Brian Harson, will he stay, won't he stay? Uh, you know, I'll get to that in just a moment. But all this wave of momentum to to kind of, I don't want to say push him out. I don't know if that's the right term, but did it begin with, uh, you know, Austin Davis leaving? Did it did it really start with uh, the Tigers failing to sign any prospects on National Signing Day? What was it you think that that was the final push that uh, that that really caused the the momentum to to go in this direction for Brian Harson? To be honest with you, I think it stepped the moment he stepped on, or it began the moment he stepped on campus. Um, Alan Green kind of went away from what the boosters and the board of trustees wanted uh, with uh, the hire by hiring Brian Harson and uh, the six and seven season, five game losing streak, you know, finishing behind programs like Kentucky, Missouri and recruiting, uh, not getting along all the transfer, 20 players in the transfer portal, all this stuff just happening and it's piling on itself. And then the Austin Davis and national signing day, nobody signing it. And basically, they've been looking for a reason to get uh, get rid of him with cause. And uh, they think they found a reason. We don't know what it is. Um, but this, this is probably going to drag on for a while. I think this, this is going to be like uh, not like a Jerry Pruitt situation, but because he had uh, NCAA, NCAA violations. Mm-hmm. But uh, this is going to have involve some lawyers and things like that. But to answer your question, I think it started the day he stepped foot on campus. And, and based on just the wave of mo- momentum, I, I've seen what you've said on social media, but I'm, you know, I'm assuming not the entire audience has seen it. Any chance in your mind that Brian Harson survives this ordeal at Auburn? I just don't see how. I don't see how he comes back from this and still has his pride intact uh, after all that's been going on. I don't see how Auburn and him coexist anymore, especially uh, you know if Alan Green, the guy who hired him, is also going to get the axe which, you know, is probably the case. I mean, his contract runs out, I think, this summer anyway. And it, and, and the athletic department has been pressuring him to get another job for at least a year now. Mm-hmm. So um, the fact that he's pretty much a uh, dead horse and uh, he was the one that had Harson's back, plus everything that's going on with uh, Harson, you know, going on to ESPN and telling him all the things are bullshit that's being, saying, that's being said about him uh, and kind of going back after his, after the, uh, powers at Auburn, yeah, there's just no way, no way he and uh, Auburn can coexist anymore, and I just don't think he survives this. Mm-hmm. Now, Auburn released a statement here on Monday, and uh, I'm going to read it word for word here, and then I'm going to ask you your thoughts on, on okay. what your read is here. But the statement from Auburn, the Auburn administration is judiciously collecting information from a variety of perspectives, including our student-athletes, and moving swiftly to understand any issues in accordance with university policies and procedures, decisions regarding the future of Auburn and its athletics programs, as always, are made in the interest of our great university and in fairness to all concerned. We do not make institutional decisions based on social media posts or media headlines. That's the end of the statement. So what's your read on that statement, Brian? I think uh, that's the first uh uh, uh, dagger in uh, Parsons' coffin. I mean, he's not even mentioned in these statements, <laughs> and that says everything. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, excuse me, but some people have been uh, trying to start a uh, save Harson hashtag or uh, keep Harson or uh, and there was like a little rally down at Tumor's Corner uh, yesterday with about I don't know, 24 people mm-hmm. uh, trying to uh, get some the administration uh, to pay attention to them, but it's not going to happen. I mean, uh, some fan, some people are fans of them, but uh, all the stuff that I've heard and have confirmed that's going on within the department um, and with the university, I, I just this is the first dagger in his coffin, and if he's not. If he's the coach by this weekend, then something's really, really wrong. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I don't want to put you in an awkward spot here because, you know, if you missed our previous interview, Brian, personal friends with Hugh Freeze, and, and we've even discussed him potentially taking over one day at Auburn. So I'll ask it to you this way, Brian. If Parsons let go for, you know, whatever the reason is, if Hugh Freeze is offered the Auburn job, how likely do you believe he is to accept it? Oh, 100% if he's offered it. Well, so- 100% if he's offered it. Mm. And that's, that's, that's the same as uh, my opinion on last year. Uh, he wants the job. He deserves it. Uh, and here's, here's what my interview question for any coach that comes in, potential coach would be, or any, any factor, my, my decision factor for any coach coming in would be, will this hire keep, Nick Saban and Kirby Smart up at night, mm-hmm. and I think I think Auburn hiring Hugh Freeze, who has beaten Kirby, who has beaten Saban, who's had top five recruiting classes, who has you know made Liberty into quite a power in the in the independent. He's taken him to three straight bowl games. He turned Malik into a first round pick. He's won his bowl games. He's six and one, I think. I mean, he's and he's from the South. He's from the SEC. Uh, why wouldn't you go after him, knowing that? This is going to cause a stir and that it will make Alabama and Georgia and other teams say, whoa, now Auburn's getting serious. Mm-hmm. Harson, that Harson hire didn't make a major stir. Any other hire right now is not going to make, make a major stir. I think Hugh is the man for the job. Now, if the, power, if the powers and the boosters and the board want somebody else, they'll go after somebody else. But if I was them, and I, I do have bias here, but – I'm also a football fan, and I see what he's done at Ole Miss and Liberty, and especially at Liberty now, and think that he would be the best hire. I think he could unite the fan base, and that uh, he would, uh, you know, kind of bring honor and prestige back to a program that really needs it right now. Any other? Uh, maybe this is you know get put in the cart before the horse here, but any other potential candidates? I've heard Will Muschamp. Del McGee, uh, any any other candidates? If you know I, everything you said about Hugh Freeze makes sense, I think he's a far better candidate than uh, than, than any other one that I've heard. But any other potential candidates that you you think Auburn could look at if it's not Hugh Freeze? Well, a, a lot of people are mentioning Kevin Steele, which would mm-hmm. be a complete unmitigated disaster that would make half the fan base maybe give up season tickets after the backstabbing he did with Gus Malzahn. And the fact that there was a uh, stop still uh, movement last year when he it looked like he was going to get the job. Um, no one wants him. He's a great assistant. But what he did at Auburn and like basically backstabbing to get the job when Malzahn still had it uh, and then uh, just moving from job to job now, uh, it would be a 
monumental mistake by uh, the hiring committee. And, and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong here, but wouldn't that also, you kind of, you're broadcasting that you're letting the damn uh, boosters pick who the coach is. And and if they ain't happy, they can, they, I mean, that's who they wanted before, if I'm not mistaken. So it, it's almost like who in the hell's running your program if you're going back to, to who they wanted. Would you agree with that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And if if, if the boosters get away and the, and the, uh, the powerful uh, board members get away, it might be Kevin Steele. Who knows? Uh, I think they, they'll look at the optics of it and, I mean, if they're smart enough and love Auburn enough, I think they'll look at the optics of it and say, hey, this is not a great idea. You know, his co- head coaching record is awful. Yes, he's a great assistant, but what he did to Auburn, what he did to that entire tenure the last two years were, I mean, I don't even think him and Malzahn were on speaking terms uh, when they were coaching together. And just how he like kept on like getting backstabbing into the Malzahn hire. I mean, I just don't see how you can hire him and expect the Auburn fan base would be like, oh, okay, that's good. Mm-hmm. And plus, his hire is not going to make it any splash. I mean, he's, like I said, a good assistant, but his, his head coaching record does, I mean, it speaks for itself. It's not good. And, I mean, he's also in his 60s. So the amount of time he could handle being a head coach is also a problem. So you need someone who's established and someone who will come in here and clean the program up and win over the fan base. And uh, there's very few people very few people who can do that right now and how complicated does it make the situation we're hearing all these allegations all these rumors uh you got assistants coming in and out you got players transferring you you didn't sign anybody and do we even know you you throw all that on top you you already referenced the ad alan green he's he's likely gone the school president they just announced you know he's essentially a lame duck he'll be gone in a couple months Who's even going to be making this hire if a, if a hire is, is going to be made? Do you, do you have any idea uh, who gets final say on, on the next Auburn football coach? Well, I wouldn't say the sitting president is a lame duck. He, he decided to retire. He came back after the whole Stephen Lee disaster, which resulted in Malzahn's big contract and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And he, and he was the president before, and he was really, he's really, really popular. But he, he, took, he decided it was time for him to retire. So they're bringing in a new guy who's well-respected among everyone at Auburn. He's the um, current head of the uh, engineering uh, school. and uh, But he, they will both, I think, uh, have some influence in the hire. There's a guy named General Burgess in the athletic department who was, was in Sanford Hall, the main administration building, that kind of took over after some uh, griping by coaches uh, about Alan Green, and, and he moved his office to the athletic department, and he's making a lot of decisions as well. So um, between him, the boosters, the board of trustees, and uh, the two, the, two uh, the current president and the soon-to-be president, I think uh, there'll be a, a number of voices in uh, who's hired. Mm-hmm. All right, last thing for you, Brian. I really appreciate all your time. Do you think any potential candidates here will be scared off by the lack of alignment, so to speak, at Auburn? Because we, we've heard you know, that was a, a rumor with Billy Napier. We've seen uh, Brent Venables essentially – I mean, he basically called Auburn out when he got introduced at Oklahoma. Does that is that going to scare anyone off here? Do you think? Oh, absolutely. I think it scared Kirby Smart off uh, after the uh, uh, Chiswick disaster mm-hmm. uh, in 2012. I think it scared. He definitely. You said already said it. Venables already talked about it. These optics of Auburn nationally and especially regionally in the Southeast right now is awful. 
and uh, it won't change unless the board of trustees and these all these boosters can unite behind one cause, which is Auburn. And I just don't think that's never been the case. Mm-hmm. They all want a power. They all want to be a part of the power struggle. They all want to have the upper hand in the power struggle. And if that means that a coach is fired after one year, that's fine. I mean, Auburn has all the money in the world to spend on, you know, buyouts and things like that. But it's not going to, this program will not be great. It will not be in Alabama or Georgia until they get the right coach and get everyone behind him. And that's the biggest concern for me. All right, powerful stuff, Brian. I really appreciate you. Brian Stoltz, give him a follow. Brian J. Stoltz, and check out his work at auburnsports.com, covering the Tigers. I really appreciate it, my man. Thanks, thanks for coming back so soon. Anytime, my friend. Love it. All right, so want to say thanks again to Brian for joining the show. Really appreciate the insight into what's going on down there at Auburn, and, and he's not afraid to say, you know, Hugh Freeze down on the plane, so I think he's making a lot of good points. Personally, I'm not a huge fan of Hugh Freeze, but can't argue with his record, can't argue with uh, the success he has on the field and in recruiting. And you know, I think he said it perfectly, Kirby Smart, Nick Saban, they'd much rather face Brian Harson than they would Hugh Freeze. And that probably tells you all you need to know about uh, which direction Auburn should go in there if they do, in fact, move on from Brian Harson as expected. But, of course, we'll keep updated on the situation as uh, as the world turns down there on the plains. It's getting more and more interesting and cannot wait to see where this thing goes next. Now, on the last episode, we broke down the uh, updated recruiting rankings following National Signing Day. And, you know, I don't want to just rehash those exactly, but, you know, what's more important now Uh, In the transfer era, you can't just go off the recruiting rankings. You also have to go by the transfer portal rankings. That's something we did a couple weeks ago. Gave an update of combining the recruiting and the transfer rankings, putting those into a single ranking. And that's what I'm going to do right here for all 14 SEC schools in the order of their ranking. And the top three are the same when you combine the recruiting and the transfer rankings. Texas A&M, number one in the country. Alabama, number two. Georgia, number three. So I know Alabama has loaded up on some transfers. Georgia and Texas A&M have not. They've loaded up more on the high school talent, but their top three rankings in the country remain the same. Now here's where things are drastically different than just looking at the recruiting rankings. LSU, number six in the country, up Six spots because they did such an outstanding job adding talent via the transfer portal. So I just think for LSU fans, this gives you a lot more accurate representation of the talent that Brian Kelly has brought in in such a short time here. Number six overall class in the country. We're talking talent acquired this offseason. I think Tiger fans will sign up for that considering they've had a head coach here for uh, what's it been, two months. Now, another one that takes a huge jump, Ole Miss, number 14 in the country, the portal king, Lane Kiffin. If you factor in the transfer portal additions, that bumps up Ole Miss 10 spots in these ranks. So 24 in recruiting, but 14 in the country if you factor in those transfers. So, you know, that 
you're getting a more complete package here with Ole Miss, a top 15 class when it comes to talent acquisition in the country. Missouri, 16 in the country. Again, mostly that's just an elite high school class that they signed this uh, offseason. Florida, number 17, that's up two spots if you factor in their transfers. Kentucky, number 19 overall. Arkansas, number 20, and that has increased eight spots when you factor in all these transfer portal acquisitions. So good job, once again, Sam Pittman and company working that transfer portal to their advantage. Auburn, number 21. Tennessee, number 25. South Carolina, 27. Mississippi State, 30. And Vanderbilt, 42. That's where things lie when you factor in recruiting and the transfer additions for each and every SEC program. Now, as promised on the last episode, I'm going to go around the league here with uh, the content that we had that uh, was released while we we're out on vacation here. But we're going to start in Columbia, South Carolina, because, you know, we've had, uh, you know, a little bit of movement here over the heading into the weekend with the, the tight ends coach, Eric Kimmery, going back to the high school ranks, former Gamecock quarterback, longtime head coach there in Columbia. He coached Jordan Birch, among many, many others, down there at, uh, I believe it was called the Hammond School, where Will Muschamp sent his kids to play football. And he was one year with uh, Shane Beamer's tight ends coach at South Carolina, but he is going back to the high school ranks, taking over a program in the state of Tennessee called the Baylor School in Chattanooga, one of the uh, more high-profile high school programs in East Tennessee. So with him, with Kimry moving on, a Gamecock, they're bringing in Jody Wright as the new tight ends coach for Shane Beamer. And I know, you know, there were South Carolina fans getting their hopes up. They wanted Tim Brewster, the uh, former Florida, Texas A&M, North Carolina. He's been all over the country, one of the best recruiters and developers of the tight end position. I mean, his the guys he's coached, long, long list. You know, you got to start that list with Kyle Pitts, maybe the greatest tight end in SEC college football history. Jay Sternberger is someone that uh, gets missed off that list. He was an All-American his one year at Texas A&M. Uh, Antonio Gates, he coached with the San Diego Chargers. So he's been at North Carolina, multiple stops, helped Mac Brown really raise the talent profile. So I get it. You know, the bigger name, certainly Tim Brewster, but what's Jody Wright got going for him? He's worked with Shane Beamer before. They worked at Mississippi State under Sylvester Croom years and years ago. Uh, he's got NFL experience the last two years with the New York Giants. He's coached the offensive line at UAB under Bill Clark, and he's got elite recruiting experience, being the, the head of Alabama's in-house recruiting department from 2015 2016 and 2017 recruiting classes, which all ranked number one in the country. Now, I guess you could argue how paramount was Jody Wright to Alabama's success. It's got more to do with just Alabama and all their success, but he's seen the inner workings of what it takes to be an elite recruiter. And, you know, the familiarity, big names don't always work out. Shane Beamer hiring who he's comfortable with and somebody's got a previous relationship to handle 
a big, big season here. You're bringing in Austin Stogner from Oklahoma. You really got to emphasize this tight end position. That's something that Shane Beamer's been hitting home. Uh, hell, they've been doing it since the moment he signed there. Tight end going to be a priority for the South Carolina Gamecocks. Now you're bringing in a guy that knows how to develop uh, and knows what the NFL's looking for when it comes to talent. He knows what it's like to recruit at an elite level. So I think this is a nice hire here for the South Carolina Gamecocks. And you may have not got the name you wanted here, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's the wrong hire for Shane Beamer and company. Now, of course, he was not the only one, Eric Kimry, that is, to leave the South Carolina program late last week. Connor Shaw, South Carolina legend, was an off-the-field assistant, and he left too. So let's kick it over to Shane Beamer, who discussed that last week during his National Signing Day press conference. I know there was a, a little minor freakout from South Carolina fans, but from what I'm hearing, nothing behind the scenes to cause panic. I know these are two great Gamecocks. You want, you want people in like these in the building under Shane Beamer, but I think it was just time for both of them to move on. Now, and then before we get into any questions, I know, uh, uh, you know, it's come out with Coach Kimry and, and Connor leaving the program. Wish those guys well. Uh, those guys are leaving on fantastic terms here uh, at South Carolina. Uh, Eric and I have been talking about this potential opportunity for the last two and a half weeks uh, that he had, and I know that wasn't an easy decision uh, for him, I'll let him talk about his situation more when he's ready, ready to do that. But, you know, I can say that uh, it wasn't an easy decision for him. He loves this place, but what a great opportunity for he and his family and uh, excited for him, thankful for him and the impact he made on our program in year one. I know how much he loves Columbia. I know how much he loves the University of South Carolina and uh, excited for the next chapter with him. And like I told him yesterday, you know, he's he and his family, they're, they're Gamecocks and, and they're always walk, welcome here. And then same thing with Connor uh, also. This is something that Connor and I have been talking about for, I don't know, a week and a half or so. Also an opportunity uh, for Connor to uh, – Connor's brilliant and will be successful in anything that he wants to do. And, and this is an opportunity for him that's a new challenge uh, outside the athletics world, you know, that was something that he was in a little bit before he came to work here, you know, at Carolina. And – and an opportunity for him from a financial standpoint, long-term, everything. It was just a, it was a great situation for him. And uh, same thing with Connor. Like, he asked, can I come around regularly? And I said, yeah, absolutely. I mean, to me, the only difference is he's just not going to have an office downstairs, but he's still going to be around here a lot, still be around our players a lot, like I want all of our former players to be able uh, to do as well. So, Connor – uh, no greater Gamecock than, than Connor Shaw and, and hate that he's not going to be downstairs next to next to Derek Moore in that office each and every day. But love both those guys and wish them well and, and uh, you know, excited for uh, 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 for for their futures as well. Now, so. with National Signing Day behind us, the transfer portal is always in flux. Players coming, players going. Where do the Gamecocks stand when it comes to their scholarship numbers, sounds like they may not be done. They'll have the ability to add potentially two more players, I think is the number here. And that is something that Shane Beamer talked about. Look for that to uh, potentially happen after the spring. But, uh, you know, you got it's always good to have a scholarship or two in your back pocket because you just never know who's going to get hurt, who's going to leave your program, who's going to 
pop open out of another program that you could potentially add, and that is also something Shane Beamer tackled during National Signing Day. You announced 21 signees. Can you explain in kind of simple terms for the simpletons here uh, what your numbers actually you know, look like with the transfers counting and, like, do you still have some scholarships available for this class? What are your plans for that if if that's the case yeah i wish i could put it in simple terms for the simple tens is that the word uh i'm still trying to figure it out phil i'll be honest with you uh i've got all the scholarship numbers on my desk and it looks like a bunch of hieroglyphics and all that stuff that i put on there i got so much writing and things like that um we do have the ability to uh add some some more players if we chose to we're no no one that we're actively recruiting right now as we speak for this year's class. Uh, I'm sure as uh, I'm sure after spring practice across the country, you'll see some uh, people that enter the transfer portal after spring practice because they maybe find out that the roles on their team coming out of spring practice aren't quite what they want it to be. Hopefully that doesn't happen to us, but you know, it's just the, the way it is nowadays. We may have some attrition here. I don't know. I hope not, but uh, we'll see what happens after spring practice and what happens between now and then. But we do have some flexibility if we need to add some more players to the um, to the roster. Now, of course, the name all South Carolina fans they can't get enough of right now, and I, you know, you can't blame them for it. Spencer Rattler, he's given so much life to this program, so much promise, so much hope. Heading into Shane Beamer's second season. And the great news is the former Oklahoma quarterback, you know, a perceived Heisman favorite right now. I know it was last offseason. Now he's once again a favorite this year. Spencer Rattler for the South Carolina Gamecocks. He's on campus. He will be participating in spring practice, getting ready for his debut season with the South Carolina Gamecocks. Uh, Here's Shane Beamer on just how important that will be for Spencer Rattler to get there, get uh, two camps under his belt before the season opener next season for the year two uh, era of uh, Shane Beamer. Hey, Coach, with Spencer now on campus, you know, just how important was it to get him here early? I mean, especially as a, a quarterback going yeah. into spring ball. Yeah, huge because of that, the quarterback position, just because it's such a, you know, leadership position and developing that chemistry with the receivers and tight ends and running backs and the offensive line and, and the entire team. And and then just for any position, Mike, just to be able to, you know, get guys here and, and – you know, the, the one of the success, one of the reasons we had a lot of had the success that we had last year, was because so many of these transfers came in, and, and we were de- able to develop a really tight team. Uh, by the time we got to the season, it got tighter as the year went on, and the more time that you have together, the the better chances you have of doing that. And you know, I think uh, what Tyrese Ross came in the summertime, but other than that, I think all the transfers that we played with last year were here for spring practice, and and we're essentially in the same boat this year with other than Austin. But like I told David, Austin's going to be here quite a bit during spring practice, just on his own uh, as well to be around the guys. So the more, the earlier you can get them in the better. And it's awesome having Spencer and, and all these guys here right now as well, where you have what, eight months and seven months until you start practice. So I, I know I've been kind of referencing this. I, I swear to God, I'm starting it this week, but I'll go back and watch all of Spencer Rattler's games so that, that I can be, you know, give you guys a more comfortable idea of uh, what South Carolina is getting in Spencer Rattler. But again, I know some SEC fans roll their eyes and say, well, hell, this guy couldn't play at Oklahoma, even though he 
threw over 40 touchdowns, is, is 70% completion percentage. That's pretty damn good. In fact, that is uh, All-American type level. But you don't judge Spencer Rattler necessarily on what went wrong in Oklahoma. You judge him from a South Carolina perspective on how big of an upgrade is he going to be based on what you had last season, and it's not even comparable. I mean, there was not a player on South Carolina's roster that was in Heisman contention or even in the discussion, not nonetheless a quarterback position. You, you were starting GAs. You were starting former receivers. You were starting former FCS quarterbacks. I mean, this is completely day and night different. So, And that's me saying that before I've even evaluated him. Watch, go back and watching all his games currently. That's going to start this week. So, you know, I give you a little bit more insight into what I think Spencer Rattler can bring to South Carolina in the days to come. But, you know, everything Shane Beamer says here, I, I agree with it. You got to get him in here for that leadership. He's The team, has, he's got to win over the team. Just because he's got this hype, just because he's accomplished all this stuff at Oklahoma, that doesn't mean anything. He's got to put in the, the work on the field with the Gamecocks for, them to, for him to be the starting quarterback. And that is not something that happens overnight, although it can happen pretty early. Go back and, you know, read some of these articles. Bruce Feldman's got a really good one on The Athletic about Joe Burrow when he got to LSU. You know, there was many players did not want Joe Burrow to be the starting quarterback because he was just some incoming transfer. They wanted their guys that were already on the team. But it didn't take long for Joe Burrow to win that squad over. And now that's the challenge facing Spencer Rattler heading into his first spring in Columbia. Now, last but not least, I wanted to highlight this guy because I think this is a transfer that outside of Columbia may be not getting enough respect, and that is a former Georgia defensive back slash running back, Lavoisier Carroll, who I believe he was the number six running back prospect in the country in the 2021 recruiting cycle, came into Georgia. Georgia's just absolutely loaded at the running back position, so they moved him to defensive back. Uh, Shane Beamer says they were planning on moving him to, back to running back, but he came to Columbia to play running back for the Gamecocks, and he's not the only transfer they're bringing in. And I'm not saying South Carolina's devoid of talent or anything, but I just think Carroll, maybe if it's even not this season, the following season, but at some point I think he's poised to make a huge impact at the running back position in this offense. So here's what Shane Beamer had to say about uh, the former Georgia running back and now Gamecock running back, Lavoisier Carroll. With a couple of specific of the transfer guys, uh, Lavoisier in mm -hmm. particular, um, obviously a unique situation with him being committed here than playing at Georgia. And I guess what, what's that going to be like for him making the transition back to running back then – then specifically with, with Antoine Wells as well, what what do you all think he can add to that? Yeah, uh, with Lavoisier, it was just wanting to play running back, and, and I don't want to speak for the coaches at Georgia, but, I mean, I think he was going to move back to running back at Georgia. Uh, and I'm obviously I wasn't here when he was getting recruited the first time here, but I know he loved this place and still has a lot of ties here, uh, here in Columbia as well. Um, I don't want to get into his personal business, but his girlfriend's in Columbia, so we had a heck of a ace in the hole with that one as well. Um, that she was the best recruiter getting her getting knowing she was living in Columbia um, as well, which we all wish every recruit was that easy. But uh, and I hope they're I hope she doesn't mind that I just announced that here in the press conference, their relationship. But uh, he was, you know, that was a natural fit because of that. And he loved this place, I know, coming out of high school. And I don't know what all happened leading up to signing day. But um, 
We talked about it a little bit, but he's a guy that man. He, he's he's got great speed, and you watch his high school tape. I mean, it's impressive just the the speed and 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 explosion that he puts on puts on tape. All right, well, sticking in the SEC East, you want to talk about a fan base and a team and a program all to rise with a new coach. Let's kick it on down to Gainesville, where Billy Napier can basically do no wrong at this point. Uh, he's only been there two months. And night and day, the recruiting class, I mean, went from complete garbage, which was in part his doing, getting rid of some guys that maybe uh, he didn't feel comfortable with, didn't fit into the system, or, you know, whatever the reasons are. But that thing was in shambles. People were getting mocked left and right. And what did I say? I said, hey, don't judge him on this. Judge him on what he's going to do. Because if Billy Napier were to take every commit that Dan Mullen had, regardless of whether they fit his his culture, his program, his system, whatever. And it was just a poor fit, and he was doing it for the recruiting rankings and the good publicity. In a year or two, those guys were leaving anyway with the, in the transfer era. So it's, he's he had to prioritize players that he believed in. And that I'm not trying to trash the guys that left because a lot of those guys that left went to premier programs. But it's a lot of it's about fit, and a lot of it's about culture. And that's what Billy Napier, which I know they just signed six prospects from the state of Florida in his first recruiting cycle. But again, he's been there for two months. Can't really judge him necessarily on that. But the fact that, uh, you know, he finished with a top 20 recruiting class here after, like I said, what was it, high 70s, low 80s, something ridiculous like that. That is just an incredible, incredible job. And I think he won a lot more recruiting battles than Many people were going to give him credit for. He's turning this thing over with the transfer portal. We'll get to that in a moment, but they ain't done in that department either, according to Billy Napier. But uh, that is two of the things he hit on during his National Signing Day presser on how much they plan to prioritize the state of Florida, and they just weren't able to do it given the timeline of of coming in and all the you know building the staff and building the recruiting board and building the transfers out. So much going on. It didn't work out this year to add a bunch of guys, for in-state guys, but that will be the plan moving forward as it should be under Billy Napier. We've heard for decades that you got to take care of your backyard in, in Florida in the state. Six, six, Only six guys from the state. Do you feel like that's where you need to make inroads moving forward? Or is that just kind of, and is that just kind of a one-year kind of blip given that you're from yeah. Louisiana and whatnot? Yeah, no question. I mean, I think that it's a product of the circumstance. You know, I think um, – you know, we were basically just had to go evaluate the players that were available, right? We and we looked all over the country. You know, and I think we're pretty spread out in this class. So, I think that's a product of the circumstances. Those are the players that you know we felt like fit us from an evaluation standpoint, and then we had the resources to go get that accomplished. You know, I think that's the one thing to remind ourselves of is you know that Florida brand is strong and it, it spread out and was able to do good work but um you know our our approach is going to be inside out there's no question um i think history would indicate that when florida has a really good football team you know it starts right here in our backyard and works out so uh, that's the approach that we will take uh, and certainly with the 23 group um, which we've already started on you know that'll be the mentality for sure now it's one thing to say this but of course you know nick saban kirby smart Dabo Sweeney, just to name a few, they've been coming into the Sunshine State 
and rating it for talent for years and years. So, that, I mean, if Florida Gators are going to get back to being an SEC national championship playoff caliber team, it's got to start at home. So he's saying the right things. Now he's got to go out there and do it. But, uh, you know, if you're a Gator, you got to be thankful that uh, at least uh, at least Billy Napier believes in building from within the state because that's what has empowered in large part some of these premier power programs across the country is their ability to come into the state and steal top talent away from Florida, Florida State, and Miami. And that's got to end under Billy Napier's watch. Now, in addition to uh, just breaking down the in-state class, Billy Napier you know, gave a kind of overarching thought on his first signing class at Florida. Again, not perfect. I, I love the analogy he uses here. I'm not a big baseball guy, but I see what he's saying here. You no one's going to get every prospect they go after. You're not going to bat a 1,000. That's never going to happen. Nick Saban, Kirby Smart, Jimbo Fisher, they don't bat a 1,000. But uh, it's about keeping a high average, and that is something that uh, Billy Napier is fully aware of as he uh, leads the charge here in Gainesville. Hey, Coach. So, obviously, with you having the early signing period and the winter portal on now, overall, what's your comfort level with where you're at based upon what you guys have gotten today to add on to what you've got in the last couple of weeks? Yeah, I don't, I don't think we're ever quite uh, – I don't think I've ever batted a 1,000 on signing day. Um, you have to tell some of our young people in the building, hey, this is a little more like baseball here, right? We, we got to, you know, you got to swing a lot, um, you know, and make contact. And at the end of the day, we need 25 really good hits, right? We need, so it requires a little bit of um, perspective, if that makes sense. So, uh, and resiliency, I would say. So, you know, you got to have a short memory. You got to move on to the next one. And certainly, as a competitor, you know some of those things that maybe you learned as a competitor, you can apply to recruiting for sure. But uh, you know, we feel a lot of needs. You know, I'm confident in each individual player that we've added, what they bring to the uh, team. Certainly, the jobs that we think they can do for our team. Uh, but we're never, you know, I don't think anybody's ever completely satisfied with what happens. But um, you know, so far so good. We got a few more out there, um, and then you know we got to get ready for this spring portal period uh, that is to come. Now, last thing when it comes to talent acquisition here, Billy Napier, you know, he has really tackled this uh, transfer portal, really adding pieces to a lot of key areas that uh, Florida is currently lacking. And I know some of it's uh, coming from connections he had at Louisiana and and adding players that he knows can fit his system and have shined albeit at a lower level a lot of these guys may not come in and be you know all americans day one but if billy napier believes in their talent and what they can bring to his program you got to have faith that uh you know he's bringing guys in that uh can contribute year one if nothing else they're going to be a head start when it comes to knowing the system knowing the expectations whereas many of the players on the roster they're going to be getting that first lesson here in a couple weeks when spring ball begins. And uh, according to Billy Napier, you know, more transfers will soon be coming to the Gators after spring football if there's guys in the portal that, uh, that they really want to add, that will add value to this Florida Gators roster. Coach, uh, you've got 17 guys uh, – counting your high school kids and your transfers, another five transfers. 
how many of the kids count back on last year, if you can tell us that? And then what does that mean for you going forward, for example, with transfers? Do you have a set number like another five, another seven that you might add, and, and maybe another how many high school kids you think you might add? Sure. Um, well, the high school players obviously would be today, right? I think, um, you know, and then, then there's kind of a balance. You know, when we get to the spring, we obviously are going to have a, additional spots remaining where we could add players, right? We've So there's been movement on our roster. We've got uh, plenty of options going forward. There's no cap. I don't necessarily see us hitting the cap um, when we get to the spring portal period, if that makes sense. But um, there's a delicate balance here, right, between the number of players that we add and then also hitting that 85 number, you know, so a little bit of this is to be determined, right? It's always a big juggling act. It's a big math problem. You know, you're adding and subtracting today. Certainly as we approach May 1st, there'll be more attrition. Um, and really in the transition year with a new staff and kind of a new culture, I think that uh, there's some things that come with that, both positive and negative. So. Um, I think it's a really good question, but I think a lot of that is to be determined based off of the rest of the day and then also um, any movement that we we have later on in the semester. Now, last thing, I just <laughs> I had to add this because it went viral when they uh, named this guy, but the uh, game changer coordinator, you know, people having fun with that on the social medias, mocking Billy Napier and the Florida Gators. Well, there's a reason they have that title, and he kind of broke it down here and explained it. That uh, made a lot more sense. And, I mean, at the end of the day, who the hell cares? Oh, people poke fun. It, all that matters is the results on the field. But, hey, at least they're trying something a little bit different. And uh, I'm sure this is going to seem hokey to uh, non-Florida fans, but I got no problem with it after hearing Billy Napier's explanation for it. And then I also wanted to ask about one of the staff additions. What is a game changer coordinator? Can you kind of explain uh, that, that term? Yeah, so um, Coach Couch is the special teams coordinator. He's really the special teams analyst. Um, you know, and really uh, Coach Couch was with us at the previous stop. Um, we call our special teams game changers, right? So, you know, we're trying to create a game changing play. We all know the power of an explosive play on special teams kind of our way to create some urgency, some importance to that part of the game. I think it's the, the area of your team where you start building culture. Um, you know, it's a combination of offense and defensive players. Oftentimes young players will get opportunities to contribute to the team first there. Uh, and then your walk-ons, you know, you know, can earn a niche on the team there as well. So uh, requires a lot of coordination, a lot of team effort. Um, Coach Couch will be leading that area as an analyst off the field. And, um, yeah, we're trying to change the game on special teams. Hey, whatever it takes to win. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they call it uh, the red zone, obviously. We all know what that means. But uh, when Green Bay, the, their new coaching staff came in, they started calling it the gold zone based on uh, Austin Powers. They love gold, right? It sounds cheesy. They quickly became – number one scoring offense in the red zone. So, hey, whatever it takes to motivate these players, motivate this program to rise above where they were at, that's the whole point. That's, you know, sometimes these culture changes are 
meant pretty harshly. We're seeing that on the planes right now, but sometimes it doesn't have to be a, a complete 180 of what you're doing. It can just be a slight change. It can be an emphasis on a special teams like Billy Napier saying here will be put in his Florida Gator program. That is, of course, something Florida fans know well that uh, Urban Meyer put so much attention on and it paid off in a huge, huge way, led to a lot of big wins for the Gators back in the day. And hopefully they'll do that once again under Billy Napier with their game changer. That's what it's all about. Special teams is about changing the game. And we, hey, the most iconic play, I think, in SEC history, the kick six. Again, special teams, game-changing play. So, hey, I'm buying into this. If it works, if it works for the Florida Gators, I'm buying into it. All right, so hey, that's all we got on this episode of the show. Like I said, plenty more content from several other SEC coaches that uh, happened over vacation. We're just now getting to it. I don't want to just throw them all together. I'm really trying to focus uh, you know, segments on each team. And of course, we'll keep up what's going on on the plates because who knows? I'm trying to get some more guests lined up for this week. So hopefully that comes through. But hey, stay with us here trying to keep this thing daily for as long as we can as long as we got the content coming through we're going to be able to uh, keep bringing it to you all off season long so i really do appreciate all the support from each and every one of you appreciate everybody continuing to tuning in and we're trying to keep this thing five days a week and we'll continue to bring you the sec content all off season long but that's going to do it for this episode of the show catch you on the next one